Welcome to my study on understanding the book of Acts. These messages were given live during my regular Sunday morning services. Now, while each of these messages are able to help you as a standalone message, I recommend listening from the beginning because they do build on one another. Now, I pray these help you in your journey of understanding God's word. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's get to the message. Um, all right, so open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 and just stay there. And I want to... Actually, I'm sorry, it's Acts chapter 1. <laughs> um Today we're going to be wrapping up our series through Acts, um, and the title of today's message is What Have We Learned? And uh, next week is my last week before uh, the Eastman's gets here, so uh, I'm getting close to sabbatical, so I want to kind of tie up some loose ends, and there's one message I want to do before, uh, before that week, so we got to kind of end today, um, which I think has been good. It's been uh, a little over 16 weeks we've been walking through this, uh, through the book, and um, it's been, I think, a good, uh, a good journey. And, you know, one of the really great things about the Bible is that you can spend an absolutely unreal amount of time studying the Bible, studying the history, studying the archaeology, studying the people, studying all the details of what needs to happen, um, and looking at God's interaction with mankind. You've got creation, the law, the building of the nation of Israel. I mean, there's, there's so much there it would literally take a lifetime to study, just, just to study. But the problem is there's a danger when it comes to study. Now, I say this as someone who is an academic. Um, there's a danger to studying too much because you can actually get to the point where you study so much that you forget to put what you study into action. You can forget to actually take the information that you've put in and actually put it to use, right? Um, filling our head with understanding is a good thing, and I think it's very beneficial for Christians, um, when you think of the amount we've been given as 21st century Christians, the amount of information available to us about the character and nature of God through the complete scriptures, then obviously much will be required of us. We can't claim ignorance of God because we have everything we need to know about God right here. That didn't happen till only 400 years ago. It was kept from people. We have it all. And we actually have a tremendous amount of of additional resources. So this is good to learn, it's good to understand, but at some point you have to put that knowledge into practice. So the difference between knowledge and wisdom is application. The difference between knowledge and wisdom is application. You can learn everything there is to know about a subject, but if you don't put that knowledge to work, your knowledge is useless. Means it's not doing anything. It's not, it's not creating anything. You could be an amazing artist. You could know everything about color and texture and blending and canvas. And if you never put brush to canvas or pencil to paper, your knowledge and your understanding has no value to anyone around you. When I was going through culinary school, I would meet student after student after student who's got family who's owned restaurants and they've been in restaurants their whole life. They've never cooked a day in their life. Now they're going through culinary school. They're going to finish with a degree. They're going to call themselves chef and they've never spent one shift in, an, in a restaurant. I went there the other way around. I started washing dishes when I was uh, at, uh, the, I don't know how many of you remember this, the old pancake house in Alex Bay before it burnt down. I started washing dishes there when I was 13. I learned how to cook by, from a grumpy old lady who I was constantly in her way, but she liked it because we were the same height. 
she could look down on me just a little. So when you have all this knowledge, at some point in time, you have to put it into practice. Wisdom defined is knowledge rightly applied. And as believers, as we gain in the knowledge of God, of salvation and forgiveness of sin, if we refuse to apply that knowledge in our life, listen to this. If we learn all there is to know about the character and nature of God, about salvation and the forgiveness of sin, and then we refuse to apply that in our life, we are fools. And we're not just fools, we're dangerous fools. Because we have the cure to everything wrong with the world, and we refuse to share it to the people that are around us. So therefore, the light of God that is in us is now being hid under a bushel basket because we don't want anyone to see it. Because if people see the light that is in us, then we're going to be responsible for that light. And now we've got to do something with it. I'd get more involved, but then I've got to be involved. Yeah, I'm glad you worked that out. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Now, at the same time, (laughs) as believers... If we don't put our knowledge into effect, then we're being fools. But at the same time, there's this other side of being a believer. You got people who are extremely excited about everything and dive headlong into doing something, but they have no idea what they're doing. They're equally foolish. Equally foolish. Okay, we have a number of military inside the church. Now, I want you to imagine this, okay? JP, you can think about this while you were dealing with your soldiers, Brand new soldier, just out of basic, looks at an M1, that's awesome, jumps in, decides to start driving away. M1's a tank, by the way. This should be fun. How hard could this be, right? I'm a soldier. Woo-hoo! Runs over the general's car, his dog. Bad idea. There's this process we go through called training. In the church, it's called discipleship. But it's the same thing. Parents, when your kids get behind the wheel of the car for the first time, even if they've gone through driver's ed, how you feeling? Feeling good about yourself? Or are you thinking, this is when I meet Jesus? At least we're going as a family. Everybody in the car, Bobby wants to learn to drive. We're all going to heaven today. I'm pretty sure that's how my parents felt. That's eh, not a pretty sure. I'm relatively positive. That's how they, that might actually still be how my mom feels. Oh, here he goes. <laughs> when we walk in wisdom, we not only have the desire to do something, we have the knowledge to understand how to do it correctly. Because there is a right and wrong way to do things. There's a right and wrong way to do basically everything. And there is a right way to live your faith, and there is a very wrong way to live your faith. You may be very happy that Jesus has done something in your life, but if you're showing something to people that is not of God or is just just wrong enough to be counterfeit, you're in trouble. This is why the Bible tells us over over again, the young should instruct the old. The experienced should instruct the inexperienced, which means the experienced are supposed to have the patience to instruct the inexperienced, and the inexperienced are supposed to have their feet held to the fire To submit to instruction. It's not something we like to do today. I don't need to be taught. I'll figure it out. 
I don't need to be taught to how to evangelize or how to understand the Bible. I'll just YouTube it. I mean, it's on the internet. It's got to be true, right? Because they have fact checkers. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyway, moving right along. So what I want to do today is I want to take a look at a couple of lessons that we've learned within this series to help us understand how to put our faith into practice. These are foundational, and I think these are core to all believers. And the first one is that, very simply, that the power of the Holy Spirit is real, and it should have a place in your life. The power of the Holy Spirit is real, and it should have an active place in your life. Should be a normal part of Christian life. The power and the authority and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit should not be something that's like, oh my gosh, this is so wild. Never expected God to actually do what I asked him to do. No, it should be a normal part of our life. Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was not a one-off event. It was never meant to be this isolated thing that tempts Christians to try to do something that they'd never ever be able to do. Sometimes we forget that Pentecost was forerun by Jesus' words himself. Now listen to the way Jesus described what Pentecost was going to do. This comes from John chapter 14, 16, 17. It'll show up on the screen behind you. It says, and I pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. And he may abide, listen to this, he may abide with you just for the next couple of years. No, forever. And that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive... Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These are the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come. God is going to send this Holy Spirit to you, and he will abide with you forever. Now, abide doesn't mean control. Abide means walk with, journey alongside. The Holy Spirit is very real, and it should be with us. It should be a constant companion. Now, different translations render the word helper differently, and this kind of lends itself to some confusion. If you look at the New King James Version, it translates it helper. The King James, oddly enough, translates it comforter, and the 85 NIV translates it counselor. Those are some of the multiple translations for the word helper. And this leads people to believe that they can't trust the Bible when it comes to this because all these different Bible translations have these different words and these different meanings. And if the Bible can't agree with itself, then why would I agree with the Bible? Now, the problem with this, going back to knowledge and wisdom, is people don't have enough knowledge of translation to look at this from a standpoint of wisdom to understand how translation is applied and why these things work this way. If you look at the Greek word parakletos, that's the word translated helper. Counselor, help, uh, uh, advocate, intercessor. See, this all depends on how it's used in a sentence. A lot like our English words today, depending on how you use them, they can mean different things. Just the word cool can mean a hundred different things depending on how it's used in a, in a, in a sentence. In this case, all the meanings apply. 
All of the applicable uh, definitions of the term Holy Spirit or counselor or helper or intercessor, they all apply in this context. You can't translate it wrong because they all work. You think about this. Jesus is our advocate. He advocates for us to God. The Holy Spirit advocates to God for us. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. Now, that doesn't just mean one who gives advice. It's also a legal term, meaning to represent you in a legal battle. So when someone accuses you or when you stand before the Lord in judgment, the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our counselor, the one on our side. No, no, no. He belongs to Jesus. Paid. Penalty paid. Sin forgiven. He's also our helper. A helper in this case is a lot like spouse. Don't go crazy. Someone who should walk with you, work with you, build you up, hold you accountable, guide you in the direction you should be going. I know sometimes this doesn't, ha- doesn't happen, especially when husbands and wives are driving, right? Now, here's an interesting parallel for you as the Holy Spirit, as our helper. As you're driving, guys, how many of you have the map unfolded in front of you on the steering wheel? Hopefully none of you. You're thinking, map? Paper map? What is that? I just use my phone. Usually somebody else is holding the directions, right? Even if you're using a GPS, it's talking to you. Hey, stupid, turn left here. Every now and then, I think the GPS should say something like, your wife was right. (laughs) Just because. The Holy Spirit navigates for us. No, 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 you're going here. No, 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 no. God wants you over here. Move. Turn. Follow the leading of the Spirit. That takes time and patience and energy to learn how to do. It's not something that happens overnight. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 8, it says, And being assembled together, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Jesus commanding the disciples, don't depart from Jerusalem. But now listen to this. But to wait for the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? Which he said, you have heard from me. That's the coming helper. That's the Holy Spirit. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when he had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of, uh, to Israel? And I think Jesus is just shaking his head. These guys still don't get it. They just don't get it. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the season which the Father has put into his own authority. But now listen to this last part. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There are many in the church today who believe that the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, ended with the death of the apostles in the first century. That it's not for today. It's called cessationism. That the gifts have ceased. The power of the Holy Spirit has ceased. It's a very popular um, uh, a view, more fundamentalist, or um, uh, um, Reformation theology is another way of looking at it. That's, that's how they view these things. They have some pretty good arguments, and they have some pretty bad arguments. Just like charismatics have some pretty good arguments, and we have some pretty bad arguments. It all depends on how you're going to view this. But I can't get away from the simple fact that Jesus says he will abide with you forever. 
And the idea that the Holy Spirit, to help the ministry of the gospel reach the world, the idea that the, that the disciples were supposed to get that accomplished in one lifetime, I find laughable. I find completely laughable. It's not even remotely possible. All they could do was get things started. So the promise of the Holy Spirit is not just for them that day. It is for all believers, all for all times, because we are all a kingdom of priests. We have all been given the ministry of the gospel. We have all been equipped and called to represent Christ to a lost nation. All of us. There's not a single one of you here that does not have the calling on your life to represent God to a lost nation. The only difference is whether or not you'll do it well or do it poorly. That's the only difference between, between two people sitting next to each other. Are you going to do it well or are you going to do it poorly? If you do it well, you gain the knowledge, then you put it into practice through wisdom. To do it poorly is to either gain knowledge and sit on it or to jump headlong into something you don't understand. See, the Bible tells, explains to us how to put this stuff into practice all along. Jesus said he will abide with us forever. Now, I, now, for a cessationist, I don't hold that against them. If that's the view that they take, I get it because I have studied charismatic history. And if there is any one church group that has damaged the authority and the, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit within the church globally, it is the charismatic movement because we have gone off the rails so many times and just gotten weird. I understand why other groups are going, nope, <laughs> nope, don't want anything to do with this. Now, I find it funny because those same groups that are cessationists will hold prayer meetings for healing. So-and-so, brother so-and-so is sick. We need to pray for their healing. Why? Why? Oh, because God heals. No, no, wait a second. That's one, of those, that's one of those Holy Spirit gift things. We need to pray for wisdom. Why? Does God still give wisdom? Because that's one of those things that Paul called the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul also called faith a gift of the Holy Spirit, which I thought was pretty funny. Does faith not exist anymore today? See, these are, these are things that are here for us, but we need to understand how they apply. Pentecost was simply the arrival of the promise. It wasn't the end. Now, we also learn that this comforter is not here to serve us, and this is where I think the charismatic church tends to get it wrong. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to all those willing to serve, but that being said, the power does not belong to you. The power will come upon you when you receive the Holy Spirit, according to the will of the Holy Spirit, according to the desires of God, not the desires of us. You see, if the power belonged to us, then it would be at our beck and call, and that you would have to Get to a place where you learned how to wield the authority now present in your life. And I'm sorry, there's no authority present in your life. We serve the authority that is present in your life because the Holy Spirit will dwell in us and walk with us. It does not serve us. This is why people who want to be healers, when they lay their hands on some people and they don't get out of the wheelchair or they don't get cured of cancer or this doesn't happen, what do they normally say? You don't have enough faith. See, it's obviously not them. It's obviously the person that they're, being, that they're praying for, which is complete nonsense. Because if God has called you to heal, God is not a liar. 
So the only person, so in the, in the God-man contract, when God calls us to do something, the only person that's going to get it wrong is us. Because that's what happens. This is one of the reasons why Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. There is no power that belongs to you. We serve the authority. In 1 Corinthians 12, when we're talking about the gifts, Paul says there are different ministries, but the same Lord. Now, a ministry, to minister means to represent the will of. That's what ministry means, to represent the will of God. So there are many ministries, one Lord. There are diversities of activities or many gifts, but the same God who works all in all. So the same God is doing all of this stuff. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Given. We don't wield it like some sort of magic wand. We're not talking about a Christian version of Harry Potter. It's not how this works. God chooses a vessel. That that vessel chooses to obey. That's how this works. I've seen God do some amazing things through some questionable people. I may be one of those questionable people. See, if God leads you to pray for someone, his power will be there. See, to serve the will of God means trusting that everything that you need to accomplish what God is calling you to do will be there, including the the power of the Holy Spirit. If God calls you to step over to someone, to lay hands on them and pray for them so that they may be well, or to just lay hands on them and pray for them, the way God chooses to work through your obedience is not up to us. So if I lay hands on someone who's in a wheelchair and they don't get up, that is not on me. Because I don't know what God is trying to accomplish in that person. Because healing may not be God's will for that person. There may be another breakthrough in the life and heart of that individual that I will never see, that I will never understand, but that's not my role. I don't get to tell God, God has called me to pray for you, and I know exactly what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen with me tomorrow. I don't need to know what God is doing in the life and heart of that individual. All I need to do is walk in humble obedience and do what I'm asked to do. Even if it's as simple as give that homeless guy $5. Well, I don't want to give that homeless guy $5. He might buy alcohol. (laughs) I've had this conversation with God, by the way. It usually ends like this. I didn't ask you to decide what he was going to do. I asked you to give him $5, jerk. So you know what I do? Here you go. It's the silliest things that can happen. And there are things that you will never understand. One of the most powerful testimonies I remember was when Faith Fellowship Church was, was, was starting. Mike Bartholomew was telling this story. He was at a, at a Bible study. And he was there, and there may have, may have been 20 or so people there. And there was a lady kind of sitting off in the corner, and he didn't know her or anything. But at some point in time in the night, he went over, and he just said to her, Hey, 
Lord bless you, just glad you're here. And he went on. That was it. He met the lady some, some time later. I don't remember the, the, the details, but I do remember she said, I need to tell you something. He goes, oh, great. He goes, do you remember meeting me at a Bible study X number of time ago? I think so. She goes, you don't understand what happened there. Because he, he just felt like God was saying, go say hi to her. I need, I need to preface that. She said, you don't understand. Before I came to this study, I had planned on killing myself. But I decided I was going to give God one more chance. And I went and I heard about this study and I went to this study. And all I asked God was, will someone acknowledge me tonight? So the difference between someone's faith in an eternal God and going home to end their life was one person leading, listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit and all the Holy Spirit said was, go say hi to them. How many of us would blow that off? That's not the Holy Spirit. That's just me trying to be popular. How do you know? How do you, I would rather be wrong than have to read that story in the paper the next day. Could you imagine reading that story in the paper next day and seeing that face and realizing they were at my Bible study last night? Realizing could I have done something? Oh my gosh, the Lord asked me to go talk to that person and I didn't. See the difference? One is us serving the Holy Spirit. The other one is us in our arrogance thinking the Holy Spirit serves us. He doesn't. The power of the Holy Spirit is real. It should be a normal part of our Christian life. But we just need to remember who serves who. Listen for the leading of the Spirit. Watch for his guidance. And just choose to obey. Eventually, you'll learn to discern his voice over yours. But if you don't even try, it won't matter. There's a reason why parents can pick the voice of their child in a crowd yelling, Mom! I'm guaranteed there's more than one mom in that crowd. But you know your child's voice because you spent time listening to it, right? Now, the second lesson is the gospel message of Scripture has to be at the center of everything we do. Let me say that again. The gospel message of Scripture needs to be at the center of everything that we do. We have a mission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And this is, the, this is the key here. And you shall be witnesses to me. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What is a witness? We have some law enforcement here. What kind of a witness do you look for, Jay? Third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand? Someone who has a friend who was in the neighborhood who saw something and may have heard something? Is that a credible witness? Or do you look for someone who was there? Someone who saw it, someone who experienced it. A witness has to be present to the event that they're, witness, that they're, they're testifying against. Now, with that said, can we today be a firsthand witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ? This is not rocket surgery. No, we can't. 
I get into arguments with people about this all the time. You are not a first-hand witness to anything other than God's working in your life. This is one of the core reasons why the scripture is so important to our faith and why I get so worked up when people try to deny the authority of scripture because the only living witness we have is the scripture because the people who were there wrote it down under the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit who was active in their life. We have the living witness. It's just in page form. This is our witness. And this is the only witness we have that can save. This is where modern evangelism tends to kill me. From the Torah through the Old Testament, the prophetic and the historical books through the Gospels to the letters of the churches to Revelation, the word of God is living and active and we call it the living word of God for a reason. It is our witness. It is the witness. We are called, Jesus says, you will be witnesses to me, to me through all the world. We are called to take him into the world, to take his word into the world, to take the living witness of creation through the fall, through the establishment of Israel, the historical books, the prophecies of the life, death, resurrection, the fulfillment of those prophecies, and the life of the church and the establishment of the church after. We are called to take that witness into the world. Because this is the only witness that saves. This is the only witness that saves. Our testimonies, your personal testimony, I'm not, I'm not limiting that and I'm not taking that down. Your personal testimony has tremendous value, but let me help you understand something. Sharing your personal testimony with someone without sharing the word of God with someone has no eternal value in their life. For them to put their faith in your testimony and not the saving work of Christ on the cross is a failure of evangelism. Your testimony doesn't save. It can amplify the truth of what saves. I know that what I'm telling you about Christ is real because it has been in my life and I want you to see what God has done in my life. But you don't need to believe what God has done in my life. You need to believe what God can do in your life. See the difference? You should be sharing your testimony, but not at the expense of the gospel. If the, if the scripture, if the gospel according to scripture is not the main point of your sharing your faith, you're off center and you're leading people in a direction, but you're not leading them to the destination. It's like when someone says, so where's Syracuse? And you say South. That's great. And maybe if they stumble around enough, they'll find it. But if you don't know how to give the directions to the people who are lost, chances are they will remain lost. And what's worse, they may remain lost thinking that they're going in the right direction. This is a very dangerous thing. And I see this happening a lot today. Think about what Jesus said about the gospel himself. John 14, 21 through 26 says, he who has my, who has, um, excuse me, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And listen to this, and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. That is how we know the Holy Spirit inspired the authors of the Bible to write things down. The Holy Spirit, whom God will send, will bring to your remembrance what I have said to you. And he did. And they wrote him down. For us, that's why Paul says all scripture is useful. All scripture is here to teach us. John 5, 43 through 47 says, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes, listen, in his own name, you receive him. How can you believe who you receive? uh, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from, uh, from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. Listen to this. There is one who accuses you. Moses, the one whom you claim to trust. Now listen to this. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now we have both. Now we have both. If we refuse to learn, understand, apply, and walk in the word of God. If you find somebody who is telling you the scriptures are not the sole authority for all things based in our faith. That you don't need this. You just need you and Jesus. See, you have the mind of Christ. So whatever you think is what Jesus thinks. I've known some crazy Christians. I know that ain't what Jesus is thinking. We test what we think God is telling us according to what he has already told us. And that's here. When you find someone trying to tell you you don't need this book above all things, do yourself and everyone you may ever share your faith with a huge favor and stop listening to that person because the fact is the truth is not in them. Anyone claiming to be a believer who does not put their authority In this word, because the word tells us we're supposed to, the truth is not in them. What they're sharing is their own honor. They're not sharing what saves. Think about this. The witness we bring to the world that has any hope of bringing salvation is the scriptures and the scriptures alone. The only truth that's found in the pages of scripture is what can save. Think about this. As powerful as your personal testimony may be, Believing in your personal testimony is not what saves your friends and family. Your personal testimony does not forgive. Your personal testimony does not sanctify. It's the word of God that forgives and sanctifies. 
Think about this. Justification does not come by appeasing popular social narratives. You are not justified by society. You are justified by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the word of God. Salvation is not found by putting your faith in the words of men. You can't be saved by the, by the, the, the word of men. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter if the Pope tells you you're going to heaven. It's not up to him. How about this one? Salvation does not come by being healed. It does not come by receiving a prophecy. It does not come by receiving a word of knowledge. Just because God poured out a gift on you does not mean that you're his. I've known plenty of people over the years that have been healed. They are not Christians. I've known plenty of people over the years who have received amazing prophetic words. They are not Christians. I know plenty of people over the years who have been used by God to do amazing things. They're not Christians. You can see it in their life. Their life screams, I'm not one of his. I just stumbled into something for a moment. Salvation doesn't come from being set free from an addiction. Salvation does not come from attending church. Salvation does not come from attending a Bible study. You can't get saved by going to men's group. You can't get saved by going to women's group. You can't get saved by showing up at a helping hands and cutting wood. None of those things save you. They're good. They're all good. But they do not make you right with God. There is only one tool that we have that balances the scales between lost sinner and saved saint. And that's by aligning our, our life with the word of God. There is only one path to grace, one path to salvation and the forgiveness of sin, and it begins in Genesis 1 and it ends in Revelation 22:21. That's the path. And it's the only path. There's no sideways, there's no sideways road. The denomination you belong to means absolutely nothing to God. He's not impressed because you come to a Christian church. He's not impressed by how much you give. He's not impressed by how much you do. Just like it says in Matthew 7, 21, did we not do all of these amazing things for you? And Jesus says, I didn't even know your name. You think about that. That's the equivalent of, the, of Jesus saying, you did some amazing stuff for me, but you never got to know me. And because you never got to know me, you never got to know what I actually wanted you to do because Jesus says it in, I think it's uh, seven, uh, chapter 7, verses 23. He says, it's only those who do the will of my Father that will be welcomed into heaven. What's the will of the Father? Repentance. Repentance means to identify your sin, to admit that you're wrong, to turn your life away from that path of sin and walk in a different direction. And that different direction is the word of God. That's repentance. Repentance is not telling God you're sorry. It's allowing God to change your life, no matter the cost, no matter how much your family doesn't want anything to do with you, no matter how much your friends don't want anything to do with you, no matter if you're going to lose your job, no matter if you're going to have financial difficulties, it doesn't matter. At the end of our life, we all die. Death is a disease disease that affects one out of one people and is terminal. At some point, we're all going to step out of this physical body and stand before God and be judged. And we're going to be judged according to his word, not according to societal standards. 
God, I know it was wrong in your Bible, but everyone seemed to be okay with it. Good for them. As has been said a number of times, I would rather be loved by God and hated by the world than loved by the world and hated by God. God has a simple task for us to go into the world and to tell that world about him. And he has sent us his spirit to help us make that happen. The book of Acts is one of the best roadmaps in all of scripture to help us understand how to know and understand God and how to apply that knowledge and understanding. One of the best. If we would just align ourselves with it. It's all we got to do. Not obnoxiously, but consistently. Loving the people that are around us. Wanting for them what God has done for you. And if you're not sure that God has done that for you, then that's a journey that you need to go on and find out where you are in your own